Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Two Foot Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Iris Tomatakos. We are back again as I adjust the audio levels on this. Probably should have done this pair recording, but I digress. We're back. I'm just going to go like that. Hopefully that's loud enough um, because I noticed I noticed when I was editing it. Well, not editing, when I was um, chucking it, when I was doing all like the, the social clips and stuff last week, it was slightly quieter than usual. So hopefully I've changed that. I can see it on the on the bar still not being as loud. So we'll go like this. Hopefully that's hopefully that's loud in, enough and hopefully it's not peaking at that, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe when I start to get a little bit more, more animated, potentially in the back end of this podcast, it might become that. But regardless, I will fall on for too long. We're back again. Another episode, international break. So, um, not a whole lot to speak about. Some some things did happen, which we'll touch on as well. So maybe maybe a shorter episode, and I can almost guarantee this will be a slightly shorter episode, probably under an hour. I say that every week. I this will be shorter. Um, but yeah, hope everyone's well. Hope the week has treated everyone nicely. Before we kick things off, I implore you all to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like all the like all the videos, notification bell, all that's good stuff. We're thirteen subscribers away from four hundred. So, yeah, before April 28th would mean the world. I know it's not a big milestone, and I know we're not that far off, but um, just it, keep, it, keeps, it keeps it ticking over, and it keeps, um, it, it just, it's good on the eyes, it's good aesthetically, it's a very, very much vanity metric, but at least it looks good. Um, but yeah, so 13 more away, so share it around, get your mum, your dad, your dog to subscribe, would mean the world. And of course, all, all audio platforms as well, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor, um, yeah, five-star reviews all that good stuff, and share it around, would mean the world, we're back again, um, yeah, like I said, international break, so, um, a couple of things, a couple of things to chat on, as I bring up the run sheet on my phone, a couple of things to chat on, um, so yeah, not, not, not a whole lot of club football, but we are, we are going to be speaking about some club happenings, um, Antonio Conte has been relieved of his duty, so we're going to speak on that, some potential replacements, um, we're going to speak on the goalkeeper rule change as well, um, some questions that have been brought in by via some people through the socials, um, and then we're gonna yeah we're gonna do, we're gonna recap the Socceroos game, three one win of Ecuador which was great, and then of course we'll do some previews of what's to come throughout the week and we'll just chat we'll just chat this will be this will be a lot more of a chill episode just sitting back chilling talking chatting shit you, yeah it's, it's gonna it's gonna be very much very much relaxed in this podcast but yeah. Um, Let's kick things off, and let's let's kick things off with with Antonio Conte. So Antonio Conte this morning, I'm pretty sure, was relieved of his duties as Tottenham Hotspur manager. Um, it, it it came off what we spoke about last week, with the it came off the back of what we spoke about last week, with the um, with as I where's Tottenham? Oh yes, there we go. Um, yeah, it came off off the back of last week where we spoke about his press conference at the back of the Southampton game. Which was just another truly bizarre turn of events. Truly bizarre turn of events. But um, Spurs did make a official statement at eleven at ten twenty p.m. Uh, Sunday, the twenty sixth of March, Australia time. We we can announce that head coach Antonio Conte has left the club by mutual agreement. No worries. Um, he achieved Champions League qualification. We achieved Champions, achieved Champions League qualification in Antonio's first season of the club. We thank Antonio for his contribution and wish him well for the future. Christian Stellani Stelleni, um, will take the team as acting head coach for the remainder of the season, along with Ryan Mason as assistant head coach. 
Chairman D- D- Daniel Levy, the chairman, says we have ten Premier League games remaining, and we have to fight. We have a fight on our hands for Champions League place. We need, we need all we all need to pull together. Everyone has to step up to ensure the highest possible finish for our club and amazing loyal supporters. Brief, not very in depth um, announcements as you would expect. There's been briefer ones in the past, so I guess you have to give them credit for that. But yeah, this really wasn't a whole, really wasn't a shock um, to a lot of people. As those who those who were in those who kind of understood what 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 was going on, it was a very obvious kind of yeah he's gonna go very very soon. If it wasn't now, it'd be at the end of the season. And um, I think I said pre I think I said when he eventually came, I didn't think it was gonna last. And Spurs somehow can get their hands on a gold on a, on a gem that is Antonio Conte. Who if you give him the resources resources if you back him if you give him the environment to succeed. One of the best managers in the world at doing such that at doing that. So, um, it is quite weird and concerning how they still somehow manage to, um, not bottle that, but still somehow manage to just not be successful. Um, it's quite bizarre. It is very. It is quite bizarre. And I mean, when we take a look at his tenure, like like they said, he came in in the back end of last year. I'm not mistaken in that, am I? I'm not mistaken in that. I think he came back in the back end of last year. Let's just double check. Um, yeah, so he came in halfway through the season. I'm pretty sure, or am I completely mis? Am I completely misremembering all of this? Um, here we go. Let's go to the Wikipedia, shall we? Um, yeah. So yeah. So he came on in the back. He came on. He came on as as coach at the back end of last season. Um, Back end of last season, yeah, he did. Yeah, he back end of last season. So the 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 second of November in twenty twenty one, um, uh, yeah. So he signed an eighteenth month contract with an option for a future year. So that eighteenth month, eighteenth eighteen month contract was expiring at the end of the season. So we so we kind of expected him to not kind of not resign, especially uh, to to not sign on, especially considering the way that his um ten year kind of progressed. Yeah. So he signed he signed it at the end of twenty twenty one, which was the back end of last season, and um we did we saw that we we saw kind of the initial or the glimpses of something pretty good and the glimpses of something pretty special, um like like they said that like they said in the statement they qualified for Champions League for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, for the first time in two, no, in a, in two seasons, or maybe the the season before they missed out. Um, so yeah, that was obviously good for them, and they had a very very good kind of transfer. Wouldn't say transfer window, but that they had a pretty exciting transfer window coming into this season. Of course, signing Rochelle um, Jed Spence, Yves Basuma, Long Lay on loan. They obviously making the signings permanent of um, Bentancur and Kulisevsky as well. So they had a very, very promising kind of transfer window and people thought that with this stringent 3-4-3 system and the signings that they were able to bring in, a lot of people thought that would be very good. Ivan Perisic as well as another fantastic signing for them. And I even made the same at pre-season. I mean, there is a clip on the YouTube channel that is, um, I think, the most viewed clip on the channel. If I thought if they had signed someone like a Lorenzo Pellegrini that they would be challenging for the league, and that was kind of the rationale behind that clip and the rationale behind why I thought they needed one more kind of, one more kind of, kind of, I uh, just like, kind of fist in palm kind of motion like that impact burst sign like that impact high profile, um, output driven signing, and I think Pellegrini was that a player like that. 
but um yeah we've seen that we've seen that nothing really seems to be connected up front they are very reliant well last year last season they're very reliant on Kulisevsky towards the back end of the season they signed Richarlison for well, however much it was 80 million and he didn't he has not hit the ground running in the sliders has, has yet to score a Premier League goal um for Tottenham which is insane considering considering the high profile nature of his signing considering the fact that he plays plays in a very good club who dominate games more often than not um they're still so reliant on Kane Son hasn't really hit the hit his straps he's been underperforming this season their defense really is very structure driven and when that structure breaks down you need to be able to rely on individual talents to bail you out of games or bail you out of situations and having Eric Dyer I know Christian Romero is a good signing Christian Romero is a good player I, I do rate him but having Eric Dyer Ben Davies Longley who is good but not great um, having them in that defense can't that they, they don't have the ability to compensate for little for little bits of structural errors throughout the game and so I think that's what we see that's what we saw the difference with with this team with Conte with his at his time in Chelsea we saw a difference between that and this time or his time at Spurs and I'll touch on that a little bit but um yeah the defense was poor um the midfield just seems very stagnant they like there just hasn't been that like that oomph behind anything and I think it was a means to an end. Antonio Conte's kind of tenure at Spurs, like I said, I said at the start when they when they brought him in, I don't think I didn't think it was going to last, and I think this, I didn't think it ended in the way that it did. I thought he maybe last for eighteen months and then move on and get a job in Italy somewhere again, or or even to another Premier League team, um, or even to Spain or Germany or, or whoever. So um, yeah, I guess we'll just have, I guess as a wait and see game of where he goes from here. Obviously, he's had his health issues as well, so. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know, but um, yeah, it is not surprising. Very Spursy the fact that the very Spursy the fact that um he's left in the way that he has. But um, yeah, I think Spurs now need to move on as a club because they've. We can speak about them all all day, and I probably will speak about their culture a little bit later on. But I think it does have to be looked at. It does have to be looked at because the common denominator is very, very set now. Like, there is a very clear common denominator and it's not the manager, it's not the players. It's, maybe it is the players, I don't know, because they have had a little bit of, they have, they have had the same core for quite a while. So maybe it is the players. I don't think it is, but you never know. Um, but I think it's the club. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that regard. And obviously who they bring in as well. Who do they bring in? Um, it is quite, it is quite interesting as to, as to who they bring in. Of course, there's a couple of people that I um, am going my mind's going straight to and I'll touch on that a little bit later but the reason why I brought up um, Conte's time in the Chelsea um, and wanted to compare that is is because a lot of people I think had a lot of unfair expectations on Spurs and looking back at it now I think I did as well I think I had I think I had some unfair expectations around Spurs as well considering their squad wasn't that good especially considering especially when you're relating it to the potential or especially when you're relating it to what Conte has done in England in the past, and that was, of course, with his time at Chelsea. Now, Chelsea, like, he, he took over a Chelsea squad that finished 10th, but it was not a 10th place squad in the slightest, right? He came into a side that had, it would have been Tibor Courtois in goal with, with um, with, yeah, Tibor Courtois in goal. John Terry was at the twilight of his career, didn't really play, but yeah, David Luiz, Cesar Aspilicueta, um, Gary Cahill, like, three very good centre-halves. Like, people forget... I mean, David Luiz, we all know we all know his talents, especially in the back three at his prime. He was very, very good. Aspilicueta is a 
stalwart of that Chelsea of that Chelsea team for quite a while, and he's a very very solid player. And Gary Cahill, I think, has gone very very underrated when it comes to Premier League centre backs. I think he was very good. When we look at the when we look at the midfield double pivot, you had Matic, Fabregas, Kante. Take your pick between any of those. Fabregas, we all know his talents. Kante, we all know his. And Matic, in his prime, was one of the best was one of the best kind of defensive central midfielders in the in the in the league, potentially even the world at his best. He was that good. Um and then in front three, take a pick, Pedro, Willian, Hazard, um, and of course the piece the resistance of, of, of um Diego Costa up front. It was it was really a it was really a season where everything just clicked and the talent was unbelievable. So when you compare it, and of course either fullback, Marcus Alonso and Victor Moses turned into some of the best fullbacks in the world, right? Or wingbacks in the world. So when we take a look at the, the 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 squad comparison, I think it's unfair to expect the same of Conte. In that saying, or with in saying that, he's he has underperformed. He has massively underperformed. But I don't necessarily think it's his fault. I don't think it's his fault. And this goes back to what I was gonna say about Spurs' culture. Like Spurs' culture is just what is it like what is it because it's not it's just not like i don't even know how to describe it like i really don't because how do they how does this keep happening how does this keep happening because what they lost they they last won a trophy in 08 i think that was on the red nap i think that was on the red red nap correct me if i'm wrong um, in the comments, if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're listening on Spotify and you know the answer, go over to YouTube, like the video, subscribe, and then comment um, who, who it was. But I think it was on the red now. And since then, they've just gone through a, a lot of managers, and none of them finding success. I think Sherwood was after that. He didn't do anything. Um, Dallas Boas was after that. He didn't do anything. Poch kind of took them to their greatest of a success being the best Premier League side over two calendar years and not winning a title is quite something. And then, of course, taking them to the Champions League final, um, took, them to, took them to a League Cup final as well against Chelsea, um, which they lost. So he, he took, them, took them quite far, couldn't quite get over the line. He had a bad four months and they got, they got rid of him. They brought in Mourinho, one of the most successful managers in history, a born winner, and they still couldn't win anything. Then they brought in, you know... You know, Spirito Santo, was that it? Yeah, you know, Spirito Santo, wrong fit at the wrong club at the wrong time. I think he's an OK manager, just a wrong fit. And then they brought in Conte, who is in a very similar mold to Mourinho in terms of his kind of intangibles. When you look at the tangible stuff, when you look at tactics and philosophy, etc., etc., you hire Mourinho, Con- yeah, Mourinho, um, Spirito Santo, and Conte. Three of the more defensively minded managers in world football, maybe Diego Simeone aside, I don't think you could name me more defensively and kind of structure-based managers in the world, which I know obviously, I know obviously my, my, my knowledge on Spurs' history is very limited for very obvious reasons because of my club allegiance and also based on the fact of my age and where I'm, where I live, right? But from, from what I hear stories and, and, hear stories, hear tales, listen to people, watch list podcasts, watch kind of documentaries and shit. Um, the Spurs kind of were built on a club when they weren't as good in like the mid-90s and where they were just kind of existing in the middle of the Premier League table. They, they had this kind of extravagance about them or this flair, this flamboyance about them. 
maybe that's maybe that's kind of been exaggerated in latter years as nostalgia kind of tropes or nostalgia i'm just gonna umbrella rules nostalgia things um as i can't quite can't can't quite think of the word for it but as an as nostalgia is quite often exaggerated and is quite often blown up and to be what it isn't that may be there may be something that's happened here but for for more i know spurs were for the longest time a club that built their kind of system on being flair based and being exciting to watch it may not lead to results but it may it be, it's exciting football and I feel like that's I feel like this translates back to the culture, right? Because in culture is very hard to implement, especially when the previous culture has been very weak. Um, I'm not saying Spurs' culture previously was weak, but what drives a club's standards and what drives a club's expectations is culture and is this is who we are and identity. Chelsea, perfect example, right? Under, under Roman Abramovich, the culture was win. Win. At all costs, win. Hence why. Hence why. Oh, um, uh, Frank Lampard, you're having a you're having a bad three-month period? Sacked. Rafa Benetis, you're having a bad period? Sacked. Carlo Ancelotti, you just, you, you just won us the, um, you, you just won us the double and had our most successful, or like, won us a double and had our best, Attacking team ever or something like that. Scored over a hundred goals in that season. Yeah, not not not. I think he got sacked anyway, but he was let go anyway, right? Same same with Mourinho. Second time round, sacked halfway through the season. Just it's win. It was win, 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 win at all cost. Maruto Sari, right? Maruto Sari, you you won us a Europa League, and you and you finished top four. Not good enough. Sacked. That was the culture, and yeah, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a great culture because you was ruthless at times and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work. Antonio Conte, great example, right? You 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 just you won us the league, you finished fifth and win an FA Cup, sacked. So it's so it's one of those things. But like what you have with Spurs is a you just don't have a culture. Like there is no winning culture in that club. There, there is none because that I don't think they can identify what winning is. They don't know what winning is, and this is and and in order to change culture, you need strong characters. You need very strong characters, and you and and you need strong characters in influential positions, who are given the backing in a sense in order to change that culture. Jose Mourinho, or Jose Mourinho, perfect man. They got rid of him. All right. You, you fucked up. You go again. Antonio Conte, perfect man. You fucked up again. Right, okay. W- what do they do? What do they do for me? Are they, do, they need to look at themselves in the mirror and, and identify who they are and what they are. Are they a big club? Are they a Chelsea? Are they a Liverpool? Are they a Manchester United? Are they an Arsenal? Are they a club of that stature? Or are they an underdog team? Are they the plucky underdogs? Are they the best of the rest? What are they? Because there's no right or wrong way of going about things. It's just that you need to pick a way and coach towards that, recruit towards that, build your culture around that way. Chelsea were, I wouldn't say Chelsea pre Abramovich were, especially in the latter in the in the 
like in the early 2000s, late 90s, Chelsea were the best, I wouldn't say best of the rest, but Chelsea were a pretty good team without being exceptional. It was it was Arsenal, it was United at the top of the heap. Then you had Chelsea floating around that like sixth to third place, a couple of FA Cups, a couple of European trophies as well. It's all floating, right? They were good without being great. Abramovich comes in, influential person in a position of power, or yeah, a powerful person in, in an influential position, bang, culture changed. We are now going to become the best. And two decades later, Chelsea are one of the best, if not the best, right? In terms of club. I know right now we're shit, but you know what I mean. Same with Arsenal. Arsenal have had that kind of breed, kind of Arsenal have had that thing of being the best for so long. They've kind of faded away with that in in in, re- in recent years, but now with Arteta, bang, he's got that culture back. They're the best. United for thirty years they were the best. They've gone through a slump. Now with Ten Hag, they're back. They want to be the best. Liverpool. Early 70s, 80s, the best. Went through a little bit of a slump. They were still winning. They in, they went through a bit of a slump and were still winning Champions Leagues. They are bang on the clock. Success. We're the best again. Man City, I mean, yeah, it was money-driven, but they're now one of the best, right? Spurs have been middling, 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 middling. Not bad. Good without being great. And then back to middling. Where is that shift to becoming... To saying, you know what, fuck it, we're going to become one of the best. Because Newcastle are going to get there soon. Newcastle are going to overtake Spurs in the ranks if they don't fucking hurry up. <laughs> right? So they need to identify what they are. Are they Are they going to be, Are they going to sit back and look at themselves in the mirror now and say, we are one of the best clubs in England, or we are one of the best of the rest? And that's fine if, you, if you're the latter. If you're the latter, that's fine. Because then you coach towards it, you recruit towards it, and you build your philosophy around it to cement your position as that. And then you kick on, and then you kick on to what eventually should be the idea of being the best. So that is what Spurs need to figure out. Spurs don't know who they are, they don't know what they are, which is an issue, because how do you, who do you recruit? Who do you go out and buy? What's your philosophy? What's your spending tactics? How much youth, like like how much value do you put in youth or whatever? Like you need to be united as a club on one vision, and they aren't that. They aren't that. The, the, you you could say hiring the, like the site like the acquisition of Antonio Conte is a very total sign of being a club that wants to be the best. I would agree, but for a club that wants to be the best, they don't really play towards it. They don't really coach towards it. They don't really their philosophy really isn't being the best. You can have the you can have the ingredient like like I can have I can have three eggs, a cup of milk, uh. uh 200 grams of flour, 100 grams of sugar, or whatever. I can have all these ingredients. It's not a cake, though, is it? <laughs> like, it's not a cake. I've got all the ingredients. I just haven't made it to be a cake, so you can't call it a cake. Spurs have all the ingredients to become a big club, but they aren't a big club. That's that's the issue. That's the issue that, that they need to kind of... I, that, that's the issue that they, need, that they need to fix. That's the issue that they need to fix. As my camera refuses to focus on my face. There we go. Um, yeah. I can have I can have all the ingredients for a cake, but as long as I as 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 long as that cake isn't made, it's not a cake. In the same in the same kind of degrees, Spurs can have all the ingredients they want. They can have a good coach, great stadium, spending power, great players, leadership. Probably the only thing they don't have is trophies, but they're still not a big club because they haven't put it all together. It takes it takes time for other. It takes time for some. It takes longer for others. I think that's one of the things that they need to identify. 
Now, in, in saying that, it, in the way that they identify it, one of the ways is who they bring in to replace. They've said till the end of the season, so we're going to assume that the signing won't be made till the end of the season. I don't think it should be made till the end of the season because it's March and there's no point. But who do we bring? Who, who, who do we bring in? Who do they bring in? Who do they bring in? If they seriously want to contend for next season, if they seriously want to be a side that... There's one or two ways you can go. You can either look at the squad you've got now and think we're a chance, we, we can challenge and we can contend. All it needs is minor surgery. Then you bring in someone like Mauricio Pochettino. Then you bring someone like that in. Because he's a... I know, I know he, he was able to transform Spurs... And that she could you could see actually, maybe you don't bring in Posh, if you want that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you want if you want winning right now, Ancelotti is one is a manager that could be an option. And a lot of people are saying, how could he leave Real Madrid to to go to Tottenham? It's the Premier League. Teams will come to the Premier League, right? Like the drawing power of the Premier League is absurd. So if Tottenham come calling to Carlo, I reckon there's a good chance that he might go, especially considering he's a Dan's an option to replace him at Madrid. So, and also he's not been that. If, if he doesn't win the Champions League, it's a very big possibility he could get sacked, which is absurd. So, um, he's he's an option. Fucking Zidane himself is an option. I doubt he'd go, but he's an option. Um, but apart from that, you got Poch, who's probably in the middle ground of being able to develop a squad, but also being able to get into success. But if you wanna if you wanna lean all the way one way, uh, I don't I don't really want to say this guy's name because it would torture me. But as much as I, as much as I hate it, and as much as it, the thought of it makes me sick, Ange Postecoglou could be the perfect manager for Spurs. And the thought of that actually happening makes me sick, like violently ill, like like actually violently I'm gonna throw up at the thought of that. But I think about it and I say, it just makes sense. Like, it makes sense. It's risky and it's bold and it's and it's going to piss a lot of people off. But in, to be, in, in order to be great, you have to be bold and you have to be willing to put your neck out on the line and you have to be willing to take risks that not a lot of other people are going to take. And hiring a man who... Hiring a man who's been doubted his whole career and has been told he's not good enough and has been told he won't and and has and has been told he's not not good enough for his entire career. It's almost a little bit of a. It's almost a little bit of like a, a perfect match. You have Tottenham, the perennial underdogs, who have been laughed at for so long by by the external by everyone externally of the football club. And then you have Postecoglou who. Forever an underdog, had to do it the hard way. Had to had to kind of drop everything and go overseas and risk it, risk a lot, in order to go to Japan, leaving his home nation, going to Japan, and then he had to risk a lot going to Scotland, going to one of the biggest clubs in Europe. It's almost a it's almost a perfect match, and once again the thought of it makes me sick, but. If you want anyone to be able to rebuild that squad, and if you want every, if, if, if he, here's the thing, I spoke a lot about culture, I spoke a lot about being able to rebuild culture. Ange Postecoglou is a man who is extremely confident, 
extremely confident, and that is what a, that is what a club like Spurs need. They need a man at the helm who is just going to do it his way. It's his way or the highway, and if you don't like it, get stuffed. And that is a man that they need. The the board needs to back him in in that as well. But while he may not have the experience at the top level, he has the experience at sticking the two fingers up at the doubters and saying, I'm doing it my way and my way is going to work. He rebuilt Celtic into a team that was a basket case. Granted, they finished second, but I reckon my local five-star team could finish second in the Scottish League, with all due respect. Um... And he rebuilt that, that that Celtic team into one of the best Celtic sides in recent in recent history, right? Even it probably like I I'm not too clued up about Scottish football, but that that the team that won nine in a row, I would assume this this side would challenge it all the way, if not beat it, right? So you ha- so there's that, and he's also shown that he's not he's not afraid to step up to the plate. He's not afraid to step up to the plate and really risk a lot to get what he wants and to be successful. I think it's a very good match. I really do. As, as much as I think Spurs are a shit club and I think Edge is a great man, I think it's a great match. I think it is, and it would be scary to to it would be scary to think what Edge could do if he's given the right support and given the right backing. Because the thing is with Spurs is that they can't claim to be a big club. Like with all due respect. They can't claim to be a big club for the reasons I just said. They have all the ingredients, but they haven't put it together. So, I so I can have, I can have a bunch of raw dough, some tomato sauce, some cheese, and some salami, but I can't call it a pizza unless I put it together. And that's what Spurs are right now. They're a bunch of ingredients without putting it, without having it been put together. And I think Angie's a man that could conduct a way in order to get all that get all those ingredients and put them together for them to become a united club again. Because I think Poch did that. Poch had that, but they they Poch was a victim of almost his own success in a set in a way because he was so good for that club that the club thought that they were better than him when really it was it wasn't that like the club should have held on to Poch big time. So maybe the maybe the idea is to go back to him. I think Ange's Ange could be it, which is scary, scary to think about, because. Oh God. Uh, I want to say scary, just annoying to think about. Because I don't want Ange to, I don't want Ange to do that to to me, to me. Yeah, like it's very greedy on me, I know. Um, but yeah, I don't I really don't want Ange to Ange to do that. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm thinking about it now, and it makes me sick. That's why Ange can stay at Celtic for the rest of his career. Get him as far away from the Premier League as possible, because I wouldn't want him to coach Chelsea. I wouldn't want him to coach Chelsea because I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't want him to coach Chelsea because I I I would be so invested. It would kill me. Every single game would kill me, and I don't want him to coach any other team. Because that means I'd have to cheer against him. And I would kind of want his failure. So, anyways. Spurs. Maybe they should go and get him. If not, go for Poch and be boring and be safe. And probably get back to winning ways. That squad also, that squad also does need a whole lot of rebuilding. Um, let's actually look at the squad quickly. Who's going to who's gonna be in there? Who's going to be in their next Premier League? Or their next, their first Premier League winning team? Who's it going to be? 
And it's going to be... Let's get through it. Who are they versing? Are they not playing this week? Oh, they're versing Everton. Let's look at their squad. So you got... You got Lloris, Forster, Austin, Whiteman. I don't know a whole lot about them. I know Alfie Whiteman. I signed to be football manager one year. Um, they're okay. They won't be in the next Premier League winning team. Or their first Premier League winning team. Davies, Dyer, Longley, Sanchez, Sessegnon, Romero, Royale, Tanganga. Royale, probably. I don't know. Romero, probably. Royale, maybe. Tanganga, maybe. Sessegnon, maybe. The rest, probably not. Midfielders, Perisic, Sun, Lucas Mora, Hoibier, Benson, Korbasuma, Skip, Kulisevsky, Poro, and Pap- Papasar. Um, Perisic, no. Sun, probably not. Maybe, actually, maybe. Lucas Mora, no. Hoibier, probably not. Benson, Korb, maybe. Basuma, maybe. Skip, maybe. Kulisevsky, probably not. Poro, maybe. 23. Actually, I actually don't mind Pedro Porro. Is he on loan? Surely it's... Nah, surely that has to be. If he's only on loan, that's stupid. Surely there's a buy clause on that. If he if he's on loan, then obviously not. But if he if they sign him permanently, then maybe. Um, and then Papa Sar, prob- probably not either. There we go. And then Kane, Richarlison, Dan Juma. No one, all of them. Kane's going to leave before they can actually win it, which is probably a good thing for them to move on. But yeah, their squad needs rebuilding. Their squad does need rebuilding. So I guess it's just one of those things where we have to wait and see how they go about it, how they go about it. Because, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Going to be interesting as I yawn because I'm very tired. And, um, yeah, apologies for that. I say I'm very tired. I have no excuse to be tired. <laughs> I, I got like nine hours. Yeah, so I've got really got no excuse to be tired, but maybe it's just my body clock on funny things to me. Um, let's move on. So let's move on to a kind of a thought that was brought in, that was sent in by my good friend Dominic. I want I want to be able to pronounce. I want to be able to get your last name right, Dom, because if you're listening, because. I I have my I have mild dyslexia, so I don't actually know in which order your in which order your names, in which order the letters of your name in your name are. Is it Crenidi or Cretini? What are we? Crenidi. There we go. Dominic Crenidi. There we go. Um, apologies for that, Dom, if you're listening. But um, yeah, good friend of mine basically sent him speak about the um speak about the goalkeeping changes, the rules for the goalkeepers, um that the the IFBA or whatever it is are introducing recent uh, going to be introducing uh, I think it's absolutely stupid because it just takes away yeah it's just fucking dumb um, here we go from July 1st IFAB rule IFAB rule changes have prevented goalkeepers from taunting during penalties goalkeepers can no longer touch the goalpost or the net delay execution of the penalty unfair distract that unfairly distract the taker and behavior that fails to show respect so you know so you know how you know how we speak about VAR um, this, this will correlate trust you know how we speak about VAR for ages like we speak about VAR every week it seems and there's just so much wrong about VAR that takes away the pureness of the game this is what this is doing. We are in the same way that VAR is making 
making human error or the idea of AI is to make human error kind of null and void in reality it's just created more of it so maybe it's actually counterproductive and it's actually good for the game but in the way the AI is trying to remove all human error and human variables to the game this is what this is doing as well it's basically making goalkeepers robots and it's and it's like it's not allowing for the dark arts of football, which is probably the best part of football. Like, when I watch a game, I get so much more excited and so much more pumped and so much more intrigued when there, when there's a last, when there's like a last-ditch tackle where someone takes out the guy's legs and gets a red card and gets sent off. It adds a bit of spice, adds a bit of flavour, adds a bit of, adds a bit of, oh, I want to watch and I'm intrigued and I'm invested by this game kind of factor, rather than just having 22 robots run around kicking a ball into a goal and not being able to celebrate. In the same way that being at, in the same way that taking off your shirt is the yellow card for taking off your shirt is stupid. This is this is exactly what it is. It's it may not seem like much. It may not seem like much, but they're going to keep adding up. All these stupid rule changes are going to keep piling up, piling up, piling up until 15, 20, 30 years from now we're going to be looking at football and thinking what the fuck is going on? This is literally twenty-two robots who cannot show any emotion, who cannot who cannot be anything other than model perfect citizens when they're on the football pitch. Which is stupid because when you take a look at some of the best players or most loved players ever to play the game, they're players with personality, they're players with uniqueness about them. Like Ronaldinho, unique. Paul Gascoigne, unique, right? These players are unique because they were able to show their personalities. They were able to be flamboyant, be be extroverted on the football pitch. Same way Amy Martinez. People hate him. A lot of people hate him, but a lot of people love him because of what he did in that World Cup final. A lot of people love him for it because it's like, mate, get in the head of your opposition. It worked. It worked. It absolutely worked. And he won him the World Cup. Amy Martinez won Argentina the World Cup because of his ability to perform the intangibles better than anyone else. And they're removing that layer from the game, and it's going to make the game worse. It's going to make the game worse comfortably. And also, the fact that goalkeepers are already disadvantaged in penalty shootouts is ridiculous. Like, players can start a step, they can stop, they can, like, they can hop, they can skip, they can jump, they can pause while they're taking a penalty, whereas goalkeepers can't move. It's just ridiculous. It's fucking so stupid. And yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, you're just killing the game. Like you are just killing the game. Why are we letting, why are we letting, like why are we letting, I was speaking about this with a, so so, yeah, I was, I was speaking about this with a, with a good friend of mine, Pommy Nods, who's actually been on the podcast before. And we'll, we uh, basically I do a, I do a live show every week for Blue Abroad AFL football for those overseas. Don't worry about it for anyone anyone in Australia listening. Head over to Blue Abroad for an AFL show every Wednesday night um, on the Blue Abroad YouTube channel. Anyway, I was doing the show with him, and we we're speaking about um, we we're speaking about things that happened in the AFL sphere, and he basically made the comment that we need to stop we need to stop letting upper class middle aged people make decisions about a working class game. Football is for the working class. It's for the average person. It is for people who... It's for the average person. It's for people who are 
it's for, it's for it's for the local it's for the common man. Football is for the common man. At that, so the fact that we're letting, hold on, wait one second. Apologies for this. I'm actually going to pause very quickly. I've just got a call and I need to take this for two seconds. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to be back. Okay, I'm back. Apologies. Anyway, I was saying, football is for the common man, right? Football is for the common man. Football is for the working class. That's how it was built. That's how it was published. That's how it was um brought. That's how it's become the biggest sport in the world, right? So we need to stop letting. Blokes who don't know what the fuck they're talking about and don't know what the fuck they're doing making crucial decisions. Because no one wants this rule. No one wants this rule. And it might and it may seem minuscule, it may seem small, but it adds up. Like I said, it adds up. It becomes a it becomes oh, we're just adding this kind of minor rule, which really doesn't affect a whole lot. Like like my my football watching experience is not going to be heavily diminished by this rule change but what it represents is it represents the game slowly dying the pureness of the game slowly dying that's my two cents on it and we need to stop letting middle eight we need to stop letting people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about ruining the working class game that's what it is i say yeah anyway i i, I digress um let's move on so what are we going to speak about next? Oh, yeah. The best... Yeah, so this was another question sent in on Instagram by my good friend, um, Daniel Lovosa, who has been clamoring for me to speak about this club for ages. So I will, Daniel, if you're listening. I will. Basically, he asked what the best footballing story of the season is. Now, I know exactly the club he wants me to speak about, and I'll speak about that club in a bit. But it actually it actually was a good question. Good question. And um, I think I think a couple of clubs a couple of clubs sprung to mind. Firstly, the obvious one the obvious one was Arsenal. Um, the obvious one was Arsenal for me. Um, obviously, their their rise from being a their rise back up to the top of the table. Ten games left, they're all but likely to win the league. Um, in a in a competition where it's rich, uh, like a unloaded with money, um, or and it's just suffocated with money. Arsenal have done it the pretty much quite. They've done it pretty. They've done it quite kind of on a budget in a sense. I know they spend money, but like in the grand scheme of things, compared to City and United and Chelsea and all these clubs, they do it on a budget, which is actually pretty good for them. So yeah, they're probably a great story. They're a great story of the year, of the season. Arteta kind of de- proving all the haters wrong. Um, yeah, Sacco emerging as one of the best play, one of the best young players in the world. Xhaka turning himself into a very handy player after being a laughing stock for so long. Um, like Saliba and Gabriel becoming one of the best defensive partnerships in the world, etc. etc. Arsenal definitely are a great story. Another one that came to mind was Wrexham, of course. We all know their we all know their story, obviously signing Ben Foster as well recently, coming out of retirement to rejoin Wrexham who he played for in two thousand and five, I wanna say. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong once again. Um I think he, I think he was on loan for them in like O five when he was at United, I think. So um yeah, so there you go. That kind of goes full circle and of course their ties with um we all know their ties as well with the people who own them and etc. I think it's a it's a good story. It's not like a it's not like let's not let's not pretend that it's a oh a club doing it the hard way and um doing it the hard way and kind of um coming from deep like a underdog story it's really not an underdog story like they spend a shit ton of money in comparison to the rest of their league but it's kind of good to say from an external perspective like oh right they're actually like 
instead of instead of it being oh, look at how Man City, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, it's like oh Wrexham are like doing something as well, which is quite cool. Um, and it adds another storyline as well to to football in England and football just generally. So yeah, they're probably gonna, they're definitely going to go up. I reckon they're going to go up top as well. So um, they're definitely another story. Another one, another club that came to mind was Union Berlin, um, a club that has been that has been a perennially in the second division for so long has come from basically no... I wouldn't say nowhere this season, but um, they currently sit third, five points off top, off Dortmund, who are top, and obviously they made it... They made they were in the Europa League. They got knocked out, unfortunately, by the club in... by another union or union club in um, in Belgium. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can... They can maybe shock a few... shock a few people or shock a lot of people and potentially challenge Dortmund and Bayern all the way... Um, all the way for the Bundesliga title, that would be great to see. Obviously, another club in the Bundesliga that could have had a good story was SC Freiburg. Of course, they lost in the DFB Pokal Cup last year in the um, in the yeah in the DFB Pokal final against Leipzig on penalties. Um, they're a club that has never won a trophy in their history, like a major trophy in their history. They lost in the final last year um, in their in one of their very few finals that they've been to. They they're fourth in the league. They're in the semi-final. They're in the quarterfinal. Yeah, quarterfinal of the of that cup cup competition again. They're versus Bayern, so it'll be interesting to see whether they can get the job done. But they were on track to mounting a title race or for mounting a title challenge. They sit seven points off um, Dortmund, so it'll probably be a tough ask for them. But yeah, that'll be a great footballing story, no doubt. There's obviously some other stories as well. I could really go through a lot when we look when we go to um. We won't go to that league just yet. When we go to um. When we go to La Liga, of course, there's there's stories obviously everywhere, and it's also the other the other side of the spectrum as well. We've got a club like Valencia, who are just inside the relegation zone by a point. A club that has been like when everyone thinks of Valencia, they think of a club that's in that upper mid kind of upper mid kind of top seven, top eight in the in the in the um in the in La Liga in European competitions, but they sit in the relegation zone, so that would be big if they go down. Another one, another a big, big club going down in a big league would be something. And then obviously in League One, in League One you've got um, you've got Will Still managing, who obviously we all know the story about him. And I actually haven't touched it. I actually actually haven't touched on it in this podcast that often, but um, everyone knows the story of Will Still managing Rams in France. Went on, I think it was a fifteen game unbeaten run, was it? Um, Something like that in the league. They they their last league loss, barring or barring the most recent loss, was a three 0 loss to Monaco in September. They lost. They've lost two games since. One was a friendly. One was in the cup. But they lost most recently against Marseille in the league. So they've got an unbelievable run. We want a history playing football football manager, youngest manager in the top five leagues, um, etc. etc. Fine being fined twenty two k. 22k a game for him not having a license. So there's that story. So there's also the story of Marseille pushing PSG to pushing PSG all the way. They sit seven points behind with a cut with some with some games to go as well. So that's going to be interesting. But the the, the main story and the, the club that I think wanted to be spoken about when this question was asked was Napoli. Now my my good friend has been Daniel has been busting my balls to basically speak about Napoli for ages on this podcast and I thought why not let's let's have a chat about them let's speak about them and what they've been able to do and 
if he's listening, he's probably going to hate me for saying this, but the league is pretty much all but wrapped up at the moment. I don't know how many points clear they are. They are... Where are we here? I can get the table up. Yeah, they're 19 points clear. It would take the capitulation of all capitulations for Napoli not to win the league this year. I don't. Is it even mathematically possible? Yeah, it's still mathematically possible for them not to win the league. But, like... They have to win the league for me, right? It would take an all, it would take an almighty crumble. So yeah, they are they obviously that they, they're obviously probably the story of the season. Considering considering their team as well, when we look at I mean before we even touch on before we even touch on the two main men up front, I think it's I think it's going to be I think there's a lot of there's a lot more stories around this club than what a lot of people think there are. Obviously. It's a club that there's not a lot of star names. There's not a lot of star names. They're very they're built heavily around like a possession based kind of structured system, but it's also very fluid. And they get the best out of their best. They get the best out of their best players, which is what the best clubs in the world do. And you gotta take your hat off to them. Of course, the best the the, the two main men, obviously Viktor Osimhen and Kvitschka, Kvaratshelia. I mean, they could probably sell both of them for three hundred million combined. Like it's absurd. Kvaratshelia, I think, signed for like ten mil, um, ten mil most recently. Um, I don't think it says on FotMob here, but he's got 12, 12 and ten in twenty three starts. Twenty two years old, playing off that left wing, just so talented, so so talented. Like one of the best players in the world right now by far. And I think the story of Victor Osimhen is is one that's gone under the radar. Like. Had a massive price tag slapped on it, slapped on him when he when he got signed from Lille, and he was a player that a lot of people thought, yeah, like where where like Napoli signed him in twenty twenty. When a lot when people looked at Osimhen when he was at Lille, a lot of people were like, yeah, he's played for the future, yeah, we might we'll, we'll keep an eye on him when he's like twenty four, twenty five. He's twenty four now, turning twenty five at the end of the set at the end of the year. Um, in late December, he scored twenty one twenty one goals in twenty one starts or twenty one goals in twenty two starts. He's a player that a lot of people thought was a flop for Napoli early on in his career. Didn't really hit the stripes. Didn't really hit the kind of impact that he wanted to. 10 goals in his first season off 16 starts. 14 goals off 23 starts. So good records without being great, especially with the price tag that was slapped on him. A lot of people did think that he was going to... A lot of people did slam the label of flop around him or on him. Whereas now 21 in 22... With a couple of games to, with a, quite a few games to go, he could definitely hit thirty goals in the league. And I don't know how many he's got. I don't know how many he's got in all competitions. But the fact that Napoli are probably going to go deep in the Champions League as well, they're on that very nice side of the draw with both Milan teams and both Milan teams and Leipzig. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm just going to double check that quickly. Yeah, they're, they're on the side with both Milan teams and Benfica. That's it. Um, yeah, they're on the, yeah they're on that side, so they won't versus a big club until the final. Should they get there, I think they are going to get there. They're a massive chance to do the double, like a big, big chance to do the double. And I can't remember the uh, the last time a team has. When was the last time the team has done the the league and league and European Cup double? It probably would have been Real Madrid, at some stage in that. In that early twenty or that mid to late, early to mid twenty tens, it would probably yeah, it would probably have to be them. If not, I think Inter did it in twenty ten. Um, probably Bayern did it the year that they won in twenty thirteen. 
but it hasn't been done in a while, and I don't think it's been done by... I don't think... It, it, yeah, probably Inter was the last Italian side to do it, so Winter was the last Italian side to win the, to win the competition, so it will be... It will be a fantastic story for Italian football. It will be a f- fantastic story, fantastic story for, for the the region or the city of Naples. Is it a city or is it a region? Is it a um, is it a what's it called? A um, it's a uh province. Is it a province? I don't think it's a province, but um, I just like that like to say that word to be honest. But yeah, of course, we all know, we all know. we all know, we all think when we think of Napoli, we think of Maradona, and we think about what he was able to do for them. Winning the league for them, obviously, what's happened to to him in recent years, obviously passing away, and the fact that Napoli have been so close so many times. Last year they were close, the year before that I'm pretty sure they were close, or maybe the year before that. Um, but yeah, if they were able to get it done, it definitely would be the story of the year, and I think they are. And yeah, there you go. There, there's your, there's your mention. Daniel, if you're listening, but yeah, Napoli, great story. Hopefully they can go all the way. Hopefully they can go all the way, and hopefully they can um, really make a make a make a lot of people proud and make a lot of people. It's one of the good stories in football, especially when Italian football has been dominated by the same clubs for about two decades. It's good to see. It's good to see Napoli up there and really really giving a, a lot of people something to be proud of. So there you go. Let's finish things up. By speaking on the Socceroos game, very, very briefly, of course, they play again tomorrow night against Ecuador. So that would be... They probably would be starting by the time this is out. They start an hour and a half before... An hour and a half after this comes out, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, obviously, yeah, they played on Friday. 3-1 win. Comfortable stuff. The, the lineup was Ryan, Dagonex, Suits, Rouse, Beige, O'Neill, Mobile, Bacchus, Goodwin, Irvine, Duke. So quite a few of the Socceroos players that played at the World Cup there. Obviously, the back four was is back four was the back four that started, I think, the game against Argentina, I'm pretty sure. Um obviously Goodwin and Goodwin, Irvine, Duke all started. Bacchus, I think, started a game and Mobile and O'Neill did not. But um yeah, it was good to see it was good to see the boys get a run around. It's disappointing about the crowd. I I I think Australia needs to find a home of football, a proper home of football, because when the when it was our best ever finish at a World Cup, and the reception that the Socceroos players got at the at the game, when you look at the attendance figures, it just it doesn't sit well with me. Like it doesn't sit well with me. I mean, but speaking of a biased perspective, we saw how packed and how energetic Fed Square was throughout the World Cup. If that if that game was played. Obviously, yeah. Like, depending the like depending on the crowd at depending on the crowd for the game in Melbourne against Ecuador, I think I think Football Australia needs to be looking at Melbourne as the home for football in in Australia because the crowd on Friday night disappointing considering the fact that it was the Socceroos' first time in Australia since the World Cup and even before the World Cup they hadn't been in Australia for ages, so it was a pretty poor reception. Hopefully the reception can be better. I'm recording this before the game on Tuesday. So hopefully that can be better and hopefully Football Australia can really nail down the marketing and nail down the kind of appeal of, of having a home base for the national team and potentially in Melbourne um, because I don't think Sydney I don't think Sydney is the place just based on what I saw on Friday night. I don't, I don't think it is. But it's good to see them back in the country and it's good to see, it's good to see from the people that were there the reception that they got. Um, when we take a look at the people that came off the bench, 
um, Robertson, Tilio, Quoll, and Barella came off the bench. I'm pretty sure that was it. So um, yeah, it was good to see. Good to see. Good to see Barella getting on, getting an assist. I'm pretty sure Robertson and Tilio also getting a run around, which is great. Good to see Robertson getting into the Ecuador player and her suits are coming into to fly the flag, which is quite funny to see. But um, yeah. It was a it was a very entertaining. Went back and watched it. I, I didn't watch it live, but I went back and watched it. Went back and watched the highlights and watched some clips from it and and listened to the fallout of it, etc. And by all accounts, a pretty good performance against a pretty good nation as well. So comfortable throw. I mean, I know it was a. I know it was it was a friendly, but hopefully Australia can do the same tomorrow night. So this will go up before before the game starts, but probably most of you will listen after the game has happened. So hopefully Australia can can get the job done. And get all six points. I mean, that was friendlies. Um, yeah, let's finish things up with a preview. Obviously, football is back this week. Obviously, club football is back this week, I should say. City versus Liverpool, which we thought at the start of the year was going to be very crucial. Turns out it's not. Um, but apart from that, nothing really that interesting. United versus Newcastle is quite interesting. Um, battle for top four. But yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So there we go. Under an hour. There's your, there's your quick podcast for you. i Thank you very much for watching. Again, make sure you subscribe to the Two Foot Attack podcast. Like I said at the start of the podcast, all the socials, all the um, yeah, all the socials, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, subscribe on YouTube, like all the podcast, like all the podcasts, like the clips, notification bell so you don't miss out on any clips or any shorts or any episodes. Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast would mean the world. Thirteen subscribers away, so yeah, that would mean the world. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around. See you guys next week. Speak soon and goodbye.